So far in this series, you've heard Sarah Weddington basically kick the asses of the Texas attorneys both times Roe was argued. She kicked their asses over whether a fetus was a person, because it's not. And even if the court were inclined to decide that a fetus is a person, Sarah was ready. She proceeded to kick the Texas attorney's asses on the balancing test between the rights of a fetus and the rights of a pregnant person. Because the alive, breathing person is the one whose rights should come first. She even kicked their asses over whether there's enough at stake for the state to be able to regulate abortion in the first place. So Texas just conceded, right? They took the L, apologized for wasting the court's time, and went home. (laughs) Monty, you are a dreamer. You may say I'm a dreamer. Um, Well, but you're not the only one. Exactly. Texas, unfortunately, did not take the L. As a last resort, attorneys for Texas argued that pregnant people don't even have the right to go to court in the first place. Here's Jay Floyd. I think she makes her choice. Prior to the time she becomes pregnant, that is the time of the choice. Literally, Texas's coup de grace was that pregnant people cannot have standing because their choice was made before they were pregnant. They even tried to claim that because Jane Roe couldn't get her case to the Supreme Court before she gave birth, she couldn't sue on behalf of other pregnant people. So they're basically trying to take the ball and go home. Are you kidding me? Did the justices seem to buy it? And how did Sarah Weddington respond? That's exactly what we're going to discuss in this episode. And this one really matters because present-day anti-choicers are once again going after standing in abortion rights. So understanding this debate is extra important. I'm Imani Gandhi. I'm Jessica Mason-Piclo. And now we'll hear arguments. 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 Number 18, uh, Roe against uh, Wade. So, Jess. Yeah, Amani? We've spent a lot of time listening to these arguments, and one of the things that jumped out was just how much time the court spends debating whether or not there was even a case for it to decide. I mean, Jay Floyd spent almost half of his time, nearly 15 minutes, making procedural arguments designed to get the court to avoid answering the big questions at all. It's kind of like a filibuster, or stalling when you know you're unprepared, or have a losing case. Except it's more than a filibuster. All this stalling is really a bunch of different ways of arguing that plaintiffs have no standing. Ooh, I love this idea. Let's talk about it. But we should also explain to our listeners what standing is. Yes, because it's a huge issue in the Supreme Court case, June Medical Services versus Guy. Standing arises from the, quote, case or controversy requirement in Article 3 of the Constitution. It's intended to preserve the proper role of the federal courts when it comes to presiding over lawsuits. Standing ensures that a person before the court has a personal stake in the litigation, rather than just an interest in airing grievances. So, Amani, you're saying the Supreme Court is not a venue for celebrating Festivus? Precisely. If you want to air grievances, sign up for Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Except they didn't have Twitter in 1973. It's probably for the best, because frankly, I wish we didn't have Twitter now sometimes, but I digress. In order to meet the constitutional standing requirement, the party before the court must have an injury that the court can remedy. If the party has standing, then the party can bring their claims to court. Floyd's response is essentially, Nuh-uh, no they can't, because look, Jane Roe isn't even pregnant anymore. Check out Floyd's opening argument. But before we get to that audio, some background is in order. 
Jane Roe wasn't the only plaintiff in this case. A married couple, John and Mary Doe, also challenged this Texas statute. In this clip, Floyd argues that the married couple doesn't have standing because they were not pregnant, nor did they ever want to be. Mary Doe had a medical condition and her doctor had advised her not to get pregnant or to take birth control pills. They claim that the Texas law interfered with their marital relations because if Mary became pregnant, she wouldn't be able to get an abortion and that potentially put her life in danger. Floyd then goes on to argue that Jane Roe also doesn't have standing because she's no longer pregnant. Her case is moot. There's no case or controversy. Everybody go home. Before I proceed to the original issue in this case, which was the propriety of the trial court denying injunctive relief, I would like to bring to the court's attention some grave matters concerning uh, what has been referred to as the standing of the parties. So Floyd is going to argue that pregnant people shouldn't be able to sue to enforce their rights. And once again, it sounds like he's just going to meander through his whole argument, too, here. So super. The couple involved, they were a married couple, a childless married couple. The only matter, evidence or whatever in the record concerning their contentions is contained in their first amended original petition. That is that the woman would have difficulty if she became pregnant in carrying a child to childbirth. Further, that they were unprepared for parenthood. We submit to the court that their cause of action is strictly based upon conjecture. Conjecture. Uh, will they continue the marriage? Will her health improve? Will they then be, at some time in the future, prepared or unprepared for parenthood? There is no fear of prosecution by Mary Doe. We feel that the lower court properly denied them standing. As to the unmarried pregnant female, a unique situation arises in, is her action now moot? Of course, if moot, there is no case or controversy. Floyd wants there to be all these unknowns with the parties because courts need certainty to enforce rights. So while it may sound like he's just taking another walkabout, he's really not. And this is the very opening of J. Floyd's argument, so Floyd probably thought this was his strongest argument because that's what lawyers do. They lead with their best arguments. After making the smart decision not to tell another offensive joke like the sexist one we played for you in our first episode, Floyd tees up this idea. He said that the court had no business even hearing Roe versus Wade, let alone deciding that the Constitution protects the right to abortion. So we have Floyd arguing that John and Mary Doe don't have standing because they're not pregnant and have no intention of being pregnant. But he also argues that Jane Roe doesn't have standing, in fact, never could have standing because she, quote, made her choice when she got pregnant. And darn it, there's nothing the court can do about it now. And if she doesn't like it, by the way, she can just move. That's what Floyd argues in this back and forth with Justice White, which we touched on in our second episode. If you're right. What, what procedure would you suggest for any pregnant female in the state of Texas ever to get any judicial consideration of this constitutional claim? Your Honor, let me answer your question with a statement, if I may. I do not believe it can be done. I think she makes her choice prior to the time she becomes pregnant. That is the time of the choice. I gotta say, Floyd is not very good at this. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
The one thing they teach you in moot court in law school is to not state your argument as something that you just believe, but rather as something that just is. So just which sounds more forceful to you? Pregnant women can never get judicial consideration of their constitutional claim. Or, I don't think pregnant women can ever get judicial consideration of their constitutional claim. Come on, Floyd, get it together, man! At least he answered the question with a statement and not another question, though. I mean, what an odd thing to say. Let me answer your question with a statement, if I may. You're arguing before the Supreme Court, my dude. That's what you're supposed to do when asked a question. Make a statement. But more important than our griping about Floyd's lackluster style of oral argument is this. What started out as a question about civil procedure, about whether or not Jane Roe had standing, ended in a stunning admission by Jay Floyd that he doesn't think that pregnant people in Texas could ever get a court to consider whether or not they had a constitutional right to abortion. Earlier, I mentioned that in order to have standing, a party before the court must have an injury that the court can remedy. So what exactly do we mean by the word remedy? I lugged out my trusty Black's Law Dictionary, and it says that a remedy is the, quote, means by which a right is enforced or the violation of a right is prevented, redressed, or compensated. Oh my God, I love that you have a hard copy of Black's Law Dictionary because so do I. I know, a hard copy. They made us buy it in law school. It's literally the first book that I bought. Kids today probably just look up stuff on the internet. What a time to be alive. So remedies generally fall into four categories. Damages, restitution, coercive remedies, and declaratory remedies. Damages are monetary compensation. A court will award damages to a plaintiff to compensate them for a loss of some kind or to punish a defendant to deter them from bad behavior. Restitution is designed to restore the plaintiff to the position they were in before their rights were violated. Coercive remedies are court orders that tell a defendant to do something or to refrain from doing something. Injunctions, which I'm sure you're all familiar with since that's what we talk about in abortion rights cases all the time, Injunctions are coercive remedies. And declaratory remedies is where a party is asking a court for a determination as to what their legal rights are, what a law means, and whether or not that law is constitutional. Here's a fun tidbit. In Roe, the lower court ruled that the Texas statute was unconstitutional and said that the law was vague and an infringement on a woman's Ninth Amendment right to an abortion. The court granted declaratory relief. Now, remember, that's just a statement that the law is unconstitutional. But the court declined to grant injunctive relief because the court naively thought that Dallas D.A. Henry Wade wouldn't continue prosecuting an unconstitutional statute. Boy, was the court wrong. The day after the court issued its ruling, Henry Wade gave a press conference and announced that he intended to keep prosecuting violations of the Texas statute. So he just decided to ignore the court's ruling. Yep, basically. So Floyd is arguing that none of the remedies we just described are available to Jane Roe and to other people like her. It is ridiculous. He's saying that a person seeking an abortion doesn't even have the right to go to court to ask for declaratory relief. That's just to ask the court to declare that the law is unconstitutional. It's a wild thing to argue and a really, truly stunning claim to make. And an even more stunning claim is that when it comes to the right to choose an abortion, there is no choice. A woman makes her choice before she becomes pregnant. 
In other words, when she has sex, she's making the choice to carry to term any pregnancy that may result. The question that is left unanswered on the table is, what happens when a woman doesn't choose to have sex when she becomes pregnant via rape? Justice Stewart tried to get Floyd to address this, but Floyd sidestepped it. There is nothing in the United States Constitution concerning uh, birth, contraception, or abortion. Now, the appellee does not disagree with the appellant's statement that a woman has a choice. But as we have previously mentioned, we feel that this choice is left up, it's the woman's, prior to the time that she becomes pregnant. This is the time of the choice. Texas doesn't uh, grant any exemption in case of uh, rape. The woman, their pregnancy has resulted from rape, either statutory or otherwise. Other there is nothing in our statute about that. Now, the procedure... And such a woman wouldn't have had a choice, would she? First of all, props to Justice Stewart for recognizing how insulting Floyd's comments about choice are. Setting aside the fact that any pregnant person should be able to make a choice of whether to carry a pregnancy to term, regardless of whether they chose to have sex... The fact of the matter is some pregnant people don't choose to have sex or some pregnant people like victims of statutory rape are too young to make that choice. They are stripped of that choice and Texas sought to strip them of the choice not to carry the spawn of their rapist. But Floyd, he's just trying to vindicate Texas's interest in keeping women in chastity belts. What? Remember previously when we talked about how White had to steer Floyd away from his argument that Texas has a state interest in preventing promiscuity? Oh, right. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. Also, we have to talk about the negative pregnant, (laughs) pardon my pun, but we have to talk about the negative pregnant in this conversation. If at the moment you become pregnant, you are stripped of your choice to get an abortion and states pass laws to enforce that lack of choice— then the very claim that pregnancy terminates choice inevitably criminalizes everyone who makes that choice. And unfortunately, that's where we're headed. In 2019, the Texas House of Representatives considered a bill that would have imposed the death penalty on pregnant people who got an abortion. The bill failed, but it may not next time. It is perverse that people who call themselves pro-life would advocate the death penalty for people who get abortions. And especially when the majority of people who get abortions already have kids. So throwing their mothers in jail seems like a super swell idea, don't you think, Amani? Just fantastic. Freaking fantastic. Before flat out saying that women have no choice, Floyd tried a civil procedure argument that the case brought by Jane Roe was moot because she was no longer pregnant. Here he is talking about Jane Roe, that dreaded unmarried pregnant female. As to the unmarried pregnant female, uh, a unique situation arises in, is her action now moot? Of course, if moot, there is no case or controversy. Class action, I think. It was a class action. Surely you would, I suppose we could almost take judicial notice of the fact that there are at any given time unmarried pregnant females in the state of Texas. Yes, Your Honor. What in the world is the point of this argument? Is he just trying to figure out a way to get the case thrown out without having to make the argument that he ultimately makes, which is, hey, tough break, kiddo. You've got no legal recourse to challenge Texas's law. This case was brought as a class action. Without delving too far into civil procedure, it means that Jane Roe, an unmarried woman who wanted an abortion, 
was representing a class of people similar to her. In this case, a class of unmarried women who wanted abortions. Floyd is trying to claim that because Jane Roe is no longer pregnant, that the case should be thrown out, which makes zero sense at all. Stewart basically says, duh, bro. (laughs) Even if Jane isn't pregnant right now, there are other Janes out there who are, other unmarried females in Texas. But Floyd keeps going. He's like a dog with a bone, or at least a dog with what he thinks is a bone, but that bone is actually a piece of celery. (laughs) I mean, listen to him ramble through the class action argument here. I would say that the only thing that could uphold her uh, her standing would be, or or eliminate the mootness issue, would be whether or not this is a class action on her part. The record that came up to this court contains the amended petition of Jane Roe, an unsigned alias affidavit, and that is all. She alleges that she was pregnant on April the 20th, 1970, which is some 21 months ago. Now, I think that it is, it has been recognized by the appellant's counsel that she is no longer pregnant. Recognized by the appellant's counsel that she's no longer pregnant? What on earth is Floyd rambling about? It's this idea that a pregnant person's rights only last as long as their pregnancy. It's ludicrous, and he doesn't quit with it. This court has consistently held that the time of determination of mootness is when the hearing is before the court. That is, a case can become moot from the hearing in the trial court until the time it reaches this court. We do not feel appellant's authority contained in their brief will substantiate her contention that the case is not moot. I might add this, that I I believe the law to be that if there is a reasonable possibility of reoccurrence of the situation, then the case would not be moved. No kidding you might add that, because that's exactly what most courts would do. Courts would likely not declare the case moot and dismiss it because there is a reasonable possibility of reoccurrence of the situation. Floyd just torpedoes his own argument. When there's a reasonable possibility of reoccurrence, That's when courts look to a judicial principle that will disregard mootness if the claim is capable of repetition but evading review. No person can remain pregnant for the duration of litigation, obviously. So why did Floyd make that argument in the first place? He's trying to bust up the idea of a class action any way that he can. In in connection with with the class action aspect of this, and I say I have no authority to support this proposition, But it would appear that in order for a class action to continue, if there be one to begin with, is that one plaintiff must remain or else an intervenor or someone to be a representative of a class. Because this is the whole purpose of the class action, to have a representative in court. Floyd is really sticking to his guns here. Even if the court isn't going to dismiss the case because it's moot, Floyd seems to be asking the court to consider at least having a class representative that actually represents the class. How can you have a non-pregnant person representing a class of pregnant people? So what if that person was pregnant at the start of the litigation? They're not pregnant now, Amani. It's an absurd argument. What's even more absurd is that, again, Floyd seems to have just taken a leisurely stroll up to the Supreme Court, (laughs) intending to argue the biggest case of his life, but not really having a clue as to how to do so. He tells the court he has no authority to back up his argument and then proceeds ahead with it anyway. 
First of all, you can't just roll up on the Supreme Court and make claims without having the authority to back them up. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. He has no authority to support this position? Then why are you here, man? (laughs) I'm surprised the justices didn't look at him and say, Mr. Floyd, do you know anything at all? Second of all, is he suggesting that attorneys have to keep finding new people to serve as class representative? Every time the class rep gives birth, the attorneys have to find another pregnant class member willing to step up and be the class representative? Now, in the opening of the second round of arguments, Weddington comes out swinging on these procedural questions. Here she is making a very strong case as to why Texas's standing argument is a bunch of procedural freaking nonsense. In fact, we pointed out in our supplemental brief filed here uh, that there have been something like 1,600 Texas women who have gone to New York City alone for abortions in the first nine months of 1971. In addition, I think the court would recognize there are many other women going to other parts of the country. One of the uh, objections that our opponents have raised is saying that this court is moot because, of course, the woman is no longer pregnant. Uh, It's been almost three years since we instituted the original action. And yet we can certainly show that it is a continuing problem to Texas women. Uh, There still are unwanted pregnancies. There are still women who, for various reasons, do not wish to continue the pregnancy, whether because of personal health considerations, whether because of their family situation, whether because of financial situations, education, working situations, some of the many things we discussed at the last hearing. This is such strong advocacy by Weddington here. I mean, you can tell that after the first round of oral arguments, she probably went back and studied the places where she needed to shore up her argument. And the mootness argument, this idea that pregnant people in Texas don't have any way to petition the court to enforce their rights, this could have done her case in. These are questions that will become important should the court eviscerate third-party standing in June Medical Services versus Guy. If that happens, attorneys will be forced to find people seeking abortions to serve as plaintiffs in certain types of abortion rights challenges. And rather than file individual lawsuits, we may start seeing massive class actions. I mean, a whole slew of class action repro cases could be in our future, Imani. We've done it again, Jess. Uh Uh-oh, what? We've dropped a lot of legal knowledge on our listeners' heads, so we should recap. In this episode, we talk about remedies. What can pregnant people do if they find themselves in Texas, pregnant, and in need of an abortion? Basically, pregnant people can eat Texas's shorts. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) crudely put, but accurate. Texas doesn't think that pregnant people can ever ask a court to take a look at an abortion restriction, not to obtain compensatory damages, not to obtain an injunction, not even to obtain declaratory relief, which here is just basically a lawsuit asking a court to declare whether a law is constitutional. We also talked about how Jay Floyd, yet again, demonstrated he doesn't really know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) He claimed that Jane Roe's case was moot because she was no longer pregnant. And then he pointed out that the court could maybe probably still take the case because the principle capable of repetition but evading review is applicable. That's when a claim might never be resolved because the party's standing keeps evaporating, but the court decides to issue a ruling anyway. That's so the claim doesn't keep making its way back to the court only to be dismissed as soon as the party bringing the claim loses standing because they are no longer pregnant. Look, pregnancies don't last four years or however long it takes for cases to make it from the lower courts to the Supreme Court, whether it's two years 
or four years. It's never only nine months. You don't have to tell me twice, Imani. I've got two kids, and Lord help me if I had to be pregnant with them for four years each. That seems like it would be the absolute worst. It really, really, really would. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Stay tuned for our final episode in which we reflect on what we've learned, reality TV style, and maybe scream into our coffee. The Primal Scream Show with Jess and Imani. Featuring Pitbull. What? What? Why Pitbull? I don't know. Why not Pitbull? What has Pitbull ever done to you, Jessica? Nothing. I'm a middle-aged white lady. I love Pitbull, (laughs) but I'm confused. I mean, Amani, it's time to go. Hey, man, I'm not the one slandering Pitbull. I didn't slander. You know what? Never mind. (laughs) We'll Hear Arguments is created by Jessica Mason-Piclo, Amani Gandhi, and Mark Folletti. Jess and Imani write and host the series. Mark produces and edits it for Rewire.News. Production support is provided by Aaron Rand Freeman and Kelly Piclo. Original music is composed by Douglas Helsel. Research support is provided by Joe Constans. We'll Hear Arguments was recorded at Side 3 Studios in Denver, Colorado, with Kyle Smith as our recording engineer. All Supreme Court audio is available from Oye.org under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License. And finally, a big thank you to everyone at Rewire.News for supporting and promoting We'll Hear Arguments.